and welcome to the Post Party Project. My name is Amy Heinrich and I am your host. Join me as we chat all things postpartum, celebrating the highs and supporting you through the lows. Everything pregnancy and birth is just such an exciting time, but often chats about postpartum experiences get missed or overlooked because everything's about the baby, which we are also totally here for. But I'm here to hear you and hold you, figuratively speaking, and to listen to your experience. Think of this podcast as your safe space to share, vent, cry, laugh, and know that you're not alone. Now, let's get into it. Hello, welcome back to the Post Party Project. Um, I'm so sorry this episode is a day late. If any of you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen that my daughter Ivy has come down with hand, foot and mouth. So she's usually at daycare on Mondays and that's when I get the episode out. So um, I think I was getting a bit confident because I actually recorded this with Hayley last week um, and I thought, you know what, I just kept putting like little final touches off. I was like, I'll just do the Monday morning. But yeah, here we are. <laughs> That'll teach me. I'll have to start doing it on a Sunday or later in the week. Um, but yes, I'm just recording this intro outside. So um, yeah, we've had Ivy's actually doing pretty well um, with the hand, foot and mouth. She is covered in spots. So we are just keeping her inside, isolating. Um, and yeah, hopefully it clears up um, throughout the week. She's She's okay within herself. She's just trotting around like usual. Um, you can see that over on my Instagram as well. But yeah, in today's chat, I chat with the lovely Haley, who had an unmedicated vaginal birth at the birth center here in Perth. Um, Haley had a really tough breastfeeding journey and she does speak about the importance of kind of educating yourself more with the postpartum period I think um, which is kind of the whole reason I started this podcast because we all plan so much for the birth that sometimes you get to postpartum sorry that's Ivy running by with her little cart <laughs> um, you get to postpartum and like yeah it's it can be really tough so she ended up having reoccurring mastitis she ended up catch uh, getting it nine times um, and but she still stuck at breastfeeding for 18 months which is an amazing effort um, but yeah any effort any amount of time for breastfeeding is amazing so yeah she also speaks of her most recent missed missed carriage as well so a little trigger warning there if that's something you've experienced and you aren't ready to listen yet um we do go into that um but yeah i hope you enjoyed today's episode if you are liking the show i would love it so much if you could subscribe um and leave me a review that would mean so much and also share this on social media or share it with your friends um, it'll help so much in getting the word out there but yeah let's get into today's chat well thank you so much for joining me today Haley. I am so excited to hear your birth story and postpartum so yeah thanks for coming on thank you for having me I'm very excited to share my story <laughs> awesome so yeah let us know a little bit about yourself and who's in your family Sure. So I, um, I'm Hayley, I'm 31 and I'm married to Michael and we have a daughter called Marley and she is 20 months now. So she was born in November 2020. So she's well and truly a toddler um, and I'm a teacher, I'm a primary school teacher. So I teach year four, I'm back at work part-time um, with another lady who's been on maternity leave. So that's lovely to be back at work and Marley goes to daycare on those days. 
uh, because our families live in Bunbury and we live in Perth. So, oh, yeah, that's awesome. our family. Oh, that's so good. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you just answered my next question there as well. Then what do you do day to day? So, yeah, how did you guys plan to have Marley? Were you guys planning at the time or how did that come about? Yeah, um, yes and no. Um, I'd come off contraception um, because we knew that we wanted to start trying to have a baby, but we weren't uh, meaning to fall pregnant at that time. So we were we were going to fall pregnant hopefully a few months later, but we um, got a bit excited and fell pregnant um, a little bit early, which was great because now we have Marley, which is amazing. Um, and we, yeah, we know how lucky we were to fall pregnant um, quickly and then... Yeah, it was sort of, I was due in November, so I didn't end up finishing out the school year or anything, but um, it worked out well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, awesome. So did you plan to have her like in January? Was that the original plan so you could have the whole Yeah, time? just because I'm a teacher, um, I thought maybe January, February would be good for maternity leave, but um, this worked out perfectly anyway. So, <laughs> so funny. Uh, in the end, it was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mum is a teacher and she planned to do that for me. Like she had planned for me to be born at the start of the December school holidays, but I'm born in November as well. So I was oh. also like a bit early. I hear lots of teachers try and like work it out with the school year. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Sometimes it does doesn't work out that way, does it? <laughs> so, how did you feel throughout your pregnancy? Did you have any complications at all? No. Uh, I was very lucky. I I was unwell in the first trimester, um, but I only uh, I was very nauseous all day, every day, um, which put me in a pretty bad mood actually. So, I was quite moody in my first trimester. But no, smooth sailing. Um, I was. I sort of kept on top of my hips and things, I guess, with like I went to my Cairo and I was doing pregnancy yoga uh, and I was also seeing an acupuncturist. So I tried to keep on top of my body um, in that way. But, yeah, I, I was lucky. It was pretty smooth sailing. Um, she was always measuring well and not too big, not too small. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was smooth sailing actually my pregnancy. Yeah, that's awesome that you kind of kept on top of, of all those appointments. Did you have um, like friends or family that recommended um, you do that throughout or is it just something that you researched? Um, well, we actually did. So we did the hypnobirthing program uh, and one of the guest speakers was a pregnancy chiropractor from Perth and she came in and uh, offered a free consult. So I went to that and then from there I, I just loved it and I kept going um, and I still go I still go to that chiropractor now, so um, that's amazing. And the yoga had I, – I love yoga anyway, but I knew how beneficial it was during pregnancy. So I signed up to an online um, yoga program, which is for pregnant women, and did that and um, felt great during that. And I, I went I ended up going eight days overdue, overdue mm-hmm. with Marley um, and – so I kept doing the yoga then because that was obviously I was so huge by then um, and the yoga was just great. I loved it so much just to move move mm. around. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, that's something that I feel like I want to focus on more with my next pregnancy. I just feel like I got pregnant and I was like, all right, cancel all the things. Now I just be pregnant for nine months and I like, yeah. I feel yeah. so inspired when people are like, oh, I did all these things and I'm like, okay, that's going to be me next time. <laughs> um, so did you have a birth plan? Did you do much research into how you wanted to birth or an idea of how you wanted that to go? Yeah, um, 
And that's very much my personality. I definitely like to have all the information in front of me. Um, and I, I particularly felt like that because I just thought this is my body and my baby. So I just want to know as much, learn as much as I can. So I researched heaps and I listened to a ton of podcasts um, and I we did the hypnobirthing course. So then I, I didn't have a birth plan. I had birth preferences. So I had preferences if I... I wanted to have a physiological birth. Um, I was going through the birth centre at King Edwards, which is midwifery-led, and um, I wanted to have preferences. So I knew because, you know, things don't always go your way, and I, so I had preferences if I had to have a caesarean. I had preferences if I had to have a vacuum or forceps. I had pre- So I had crossed all those bridges and said, if this happens, this is what I want. If this happens, this is what I want. Um, so, but, yeah, I... I didn't have a plan as such. I had I had different pathways for mm. whatever outcome my birth, whatever way my birth went. Yeah, that's so good that you actually thought about every different way that it could go as well and having, yeah, having an idea of what you wanted for each point. That's really good, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, how did you go into labour and, yeah, when? Oh, you said eight days over the... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we were actually supposed to go to um, a family wedding that day and I had said to them, look, the only reason we won't be at your wedding is if I'm in labour. If I've already had the baby, we'll be there. If we haven't had the baby, we'll be there. But I went into labour that day, so we weren't there. Um, and <laughs> I woke up at 5.30-ish in the morning. I'd had a really good sleep, um, so I was feeling fresh. And I woke up at 5.30 and I had a bit of an unwell tummy. So I went to the bathroom a few times and I went back to bed and... Uh, I think I got up at about 7 or 6.30 and I went to the bathroom again and I noticed that I'd lost my mucus plug. So I thought, okay, it's probably happening today. Um, like, like I said, I was 41 and 1, so it was time. And I jumped in the shower, had I washed my hair because I just thought, who knows when I'll be able to wash my hair again. Okay. Um, and I, yeah, so I did that and then... I think it was only about half an hour after I jumped out of the shower that I got a bit of a niggle of my first um, contraction and my husband was pottering around about the house so, and I, I didn't actually tell him. I didn't actually say, oh, I'm, I'm getting contractions because I didn't know because I'd been having Braxton Hicks for weeks. So I just thought this could just be false labour again or practice labour. Uh, and then... But I thought I'll put my headphones in with my birth playlist and I put the salt lamp on and I turned the light off and um, I had like my hypnobirthing affirmations and everything all set up already anyway and my yoga mat and stuff. And I thought I'll just see how I go if I just do that and get into that headspace. And then sure enough, yeah, my contractions were six minutes apart from then on um, and I was just sort of standing and like swaying. They were really mild. They weren't. They were fine. And then my husband came in and he, he was like, are you in labour? Yeah. <laughs> I think so, but don't jinx it. I'm pretty sure I am though. Yeah. Had um, you done that before? Had you like set up like for anything else before? Like was that normal for him to see you like that? Or was he just like, oh, wow, I haven't seen you like this before? Oh, well, so I, I had already had the yoga mat next to the bed um, for weeks because that's where I'd been doing my yoga because um, we had a big, beautiful like, window outside so we could see out. Um, and so I'd set that up and the, the salt lamp was already in there and everything, but yeah, no, he hadn't, 
I hadn't typically had my headphones in with the light off and the salt lamp on. And so I think he was, yeah, he was like, oh, enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then um, I managed, yeah, so that was, I was in labour like that for a few hours, probably two hours. And I'd text my mum and dad um, to tell them to come up from Bunbury uh, at that stage. So they were in the car um, coming up and then, yeah, within two hours my contractions were I think three minutes apart and or even two minutes apart and much more intense. Like I was becoming vocal at that stage and I was um, on all fours then. Um, so that was about 9 o'clock and then... Michael started packing the car because we were living about 15 minutes from uh, King Eddie's, the birth centre, and he packed the car and uh, he said, you know, let me know when you're ready to go. And, I, and I'd wanted to labour at home for as long as I could because um, I felt safe there and I felt comfortable. And anyway, and then, but by, yeah, so after two hours I'd, I'd been, I was quite vocal already. So I said, yeah, let's go. Let's just get in the car and go. Um, and the car ride was obviously really uncomfortable because you're in labour. And I put on like an eye mask so to keep it dark. And I kept my he- I put my headphones back in, and um, we went to the birth centre. And it was set up so beautifully, and it was really dark in the birth suite. And there's a uh, there's a really lovely big bed, and um, there's a birth pool and stuff. So that was comforting to get there. And um, our, mid- my, our midwife met us there and then I as soon as we got there I went to the bathroom and I was spotting blood and I, I I sort of knew that that was a sign of transition but I was thinking well there's no way I'm at that point because it had only been three and a half hours um, and then so I caught the midwife said can you come in and just check what's happening here and she said oh that's just spotting that's fine that's normal um anyway and so I came out and went back into the birth suite and the yoga mat was set up next to the bed so I got onto all fours again because yeah I was in like deep deep labor at this point so I got back onto all fours and I was really rocking like like full mammal in the zone animal and um, I was quite loud at this stage as well and then she said or I said I'm gonna vomit um, because it was so intense but I I am a bit of a vomiter (laughs) like so it didn't it didn't worry me I um, so I was sick a couple of times and then it sounds awful, like, but it wasn't because, yeah. um, you know, my headspace at that point was like, you're killing it, just keep going, you're doing well. And and my husband obviously was giving me so much um, positive reinforcement and everything as well. So I felt in my head I was like, yep, keep going, you're doing really well, even though. Uh, did you, yeah, and how, was your mental health like, um, or, sorry, your thoughts, were they quite positive the whole way? Through, yeah. throughout so yeah is, is that through the calm yeah. um was it calm birth or hypnobirthing course you did hypnobirthing yeah yeah so that kind of um set you up to have all those positive thoughts yeah yeah definitely um I a lot of my pregnancy I had just sort of told myself that I can do this and my body can do this and you know 
just follow my body's lead um, sort of thing. Obviously, I know that that's not always the case and there are things where, um, you know, intervention is needed and we're really lucky that we live in a country where we can access that if needed. But I, I wanted to go into it trusting my body. Mm. Um, and so I did that. And, and, yeah, my body did do, it followed that lead, I guess. And I, so, I, so mentally I felt really good and um, I knew I was progressing quickly. Um, I felt really safe there um I felt really safe with my husband there my mum was on her way um and then my midwife she was amazing she was so hands-off she was everything she did she just you know asked for consent she never just did anything and she said would you like me to check you after I um had been sick and because she just thought oh you you obviously must be close and I said yep that'd be great so she checked me and I was eight centimetres. So um, that was good to hear because I knew that um, I was close. So probably 15 minutes after she checked me, uh, I was on all fours still and my waters just like went bang. And I actually, to be honest, for a split second, just thought I've just birthed the baby. We're done. That's it. Yeah. That was my baby out. But because it was like the movies where it was, it wasn't a trickle, it was like a intense like bang pop. Wow. And all this water came out. And and I was like, what was that? And then she said, It's okay, it's just your waters. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And then from the second my waters broke, I I already thought like you're at a hundred, but I went to a hundred. Um mm. So it just ramped up again and I stood up and then I was leaning on the bed, my hands, and um, Michael was, yeah, with me and he was talking to me and um, I think, yeah, touching my back or something. And, and then I just started, like, pushing. Well, my body just started pushing by itself. And so obviously my noise changed then. And my midwife quickly came running over and she was like, are you pushing? And then I was like, well, it's just happening. It's just doing it. My body's just doing it. And then um, she, so she whacked her gloves on and like quickly just checked me again. And she was like, oh, no, you're not this, you know, you're not crowning or anything. So we've still got a bit of time because I wanted to have a water birth um, and I wasn't in the pool this stage, obviously. So then she said, okay, well, if you're pushing, you can get in the bath because um, the bath's full and it's ready to go. So if you want to get in, you can definitely do that. So I got into the bath um, and at the birth centre, it's quite a big bath. Um, and anyway, so I got in there and I liked getting in the water, but I think that my movement was better out of the pool. So I think next time I'll know to wait a little bit longer maybe before I get in the pool because I was end up being, I pushed for an hour, so which we later found out. Um, I mean, it, it can take a while to push anyway, but Marley had her hand against her cheek, like a compound presentation. So I was pushing, 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 and I said to my midwife, I feel like the baby's stuck. I can't. I can't get it out. Lucky. 
and I was on my knees in the birth pool and I was leaning over the edge and she was behind me and my husband was in front of me, not in the pool. That I was in the pool by myself. And then uh, anyway, she said, no, that's okay. First babies can like just take a little while to get out. So and my mum was there at that stage and um, anyway, and then so I kept pushing and then I finally, I think I'd been pushing for about 45 minutes and I felt um, her crowning and I felt the ring of fire, which was really intense and I was so loud at this stage, like really roaring <laughs> and, um, and I was saying like it's burning it's burning me. And she said, that's okay. You're crowning. Like you're so, so close. Just keep going. Um, and, and mentally at this point, I had lost my way a little bit. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know. Like, this is really intense and it's a lot. Um, but you know, everyone else in the room was just saying, you can do it. You're nearly there. Just you're so close. Anyway. So then the next push, I pushed her out and, my mum, because I don't know if you've, you probably have seen a lot of birth videos where usually the head will come out and then there'll be a break and then the next contraction, the body will come out. Mm. But she had just come out all in one go. Wow. And I think it was because, you know, that just created a bit of a, with her hand up, it had created a bit of a, um, oh, she just came out all in one go. And anyway, mum said, the whole baby's out. And I, I just was, yeah in this different world really but I do remember so clearly pulling her up out of the water and I put her on my chest and I just didn't say anything because I was just in so much but in my head I was thinking you've just done it you've just she's out like you're done you're finished you don't have to push anymore (laughs) like you've done it and I felt really I just felt so strong and I felt so empowered and I just felt amazing and I had her on me and we didn't know that it was a girl um, throughout the pregnancy and so when I had her on my chest I was just looking at her face because I just didn't you know you're meeting your baby and you just I just remember looking at her face and um, the midwife said what is it and I was like oh I actually don't know it just didn't even cross my mind I didn't care what it was and um anyway we opened her leg and it was a girl and I do remember thinking though during my whole pregnancy that it was a girl but you know it's just a guess isn't it I I just thought that and um so I I wasn't really surprised when we saw it was a girl and and I'm really close with my mum so I was I think I was really excited to have a daughter because I just thought I'm a daughter and I know how close I am with my mum. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, Marley and I <laughs> will have that. Um, yeah, and then she was out and we were just so happy. And you're, you're just in a different world, aren't you? When, you, when your baby's out, you're just, okay, I'm not pregnant anymore and mm. they're here now. That's so beautiful. <laughs> that story is just like I feel like so inspiring for anyone who wants to go and have a birth like that. Like that is I feel like the dream birth, what you've just explained. Like is that kind of how you felt? I did. I did feel like that and I still do. I feel like it was a really, really positive birth experience. Um, don't get me wrong, it was really intense and like I say, when I'd been pushing for so long, I definitely 
was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, once she was out, it sort of, uh, there was there was blood in the pool, obviously. Um, and so my midwife, I had a few minutes in the pool to, to just gather my thoughts. And she said, oh, there's a bit of blood, so we'll get you out and we'll just, you know, check you over just to make sure it's not excessive. So we got out. Um, I still had Marley on me the whole time, didn't take her off me. Um, and we got into the bed and she was, we were having skin to skin and uh, my midwife said, okay, look, you have lost, they thought that I'd lost around 800 mils, which anything between 500 mils and a litre, they are just a bit wary of. Um, I mean, it's not critical or anything and I was still totally fine, but she said... Um, you know, so we deterred from my birth preference a little bit, which, again, I was so happy to do. I was flexible um, because I initially wanted a physiological third stage, but she said, oh, you probably should have the injection just because if you want to have a home birth or if you want to come back to the birth centre, it'll just be, if you've had too much blood loss, um, it'll be a bit tricky. So she said, just have the injection and, you know, you won't, bleed that much more so I did have the injection and I didn't bleed anymore which was great so my blood loss just stayed at that level um and Marley was just crying this whole time and I was like oh my god why is she crying so much and I was trying to latch her um but she just wasn't really latching she was being a bit funny around the boobs so anyway um I'd had a graze and a second degree on my per- on my perineum, so um, I think it'd been about an hour after I'd birthed her, and um, Michael ended up. So then he had some skin to skin, and um, he actually just put his pinky finger in her mouth so that she was com- comfortable and settled. And the midwife had told us to do that, and then. Um, a doctor came down and I got some suturing done and then once that was all done um, we jumped back into bed and just had like these beautiful few hours of well I had a shower which was nice (laughs) (laughs) just birthing like oh I just want to have a shower and brush my teeth and feel clean Mm. and then yeah I got dressed and we jumped into bed and just had lots of cuddles um, and she finally latched which had it been a couple of hours before she even latched. Um, yeah, so that was, and that was that. It was amazing. So mm-hmm. it was just nice to get into bed. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> How did your um, body feel? Were you quite exhausted to get up and have the shower and to be, like, stitched up as well? Was that, yeah, quite tough on you or did you feel still pretty good? Um, because I hadn't had any drugs during the birth, I could I could feel the like the second degree tear and I so I was it was hurting obviously um so then when they came in and did the suturing they gave me I don't know what they gave me they gave me something um a painkiller while they were doing that and so I think that was definitely still in my system because then I went and had a shower and um I felt a bit weak, like I felt a bit physically weak. Um, that could have been because of, you know, the 800 mils. 
um, that I'd lost, but also, you know, your, your adrenaline's worn off by then and just this, the hormones are going crazy. So, yeah, I did feel a little bit weak, but um, Michael made me a nice bowl of porridge and I ate that and I felt better and I had some water. and um, Yeah, so, yeah, I think I just felt like I needed to rest, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Was there yeah. anything wrong with Marley when you said she was like, quite upset and crying or was it just that it was just her coming into the world like that was all it was yeah yeah no there was nothing wrong with her she was perfect um I do wonder and you know a midwife never said this to me but I did wonder if the compound presentation might have like the birth might have hurt her yeah I don't know if you know the shoulder Mm. she might have been a bit yeah jumbled up I mean, this is probably not true, but that's what I thought because I just thought she will not stop crying. Mm. <laughs> Why won't you stop crying? Um, <laughs> no, yeah, so she was fine um, and she eventually did latch. So that was good. Yeah. yeah. So how long mm. did you have at the birth centre after you'd birthed her? Uh, so after I think it was about six hours that we were in the birth suite and then the plan Again, my birth preferences didn't quite go to plan. Um, But, yeah, like I said, that was okay. I knew that was a possibility. So because I'd lost the 800 meals, they said um, that they would recommend me just staying in for in King Eddie's for one night just Mm -hmm. so they can monitor me. Um, So I did that. And, of course, I would listen to them. And um, I did that. And I think it was about 8 o'clock that night that, so Marley had been born at midday mm-hmm. and, yeah, and then I went up to the birth, up to King Eddie's at about 6pm and then Michael went home at about 8pm, I think, because he, but he couldn't stay. Mm-hmm. He couldn't sleep there overnight. Um, I got transferred up into a nice big private room in King Eddie's, um, which was lovely. And that first night was... Oh, it's intense, isn't it? It's like you. this baby's been inside you, so of course they don't want to be off you. Mm. So she basically just slept on my chest all night. Um, and I did get some sleep but not a great deal. Yeah. And she was feeding all night, just on my boob all night, and it was it was starting to get uncomfortable. My, my nipples were starting to become sore. Um, so, but I, I just kept feeding her because if I didn't, she was just crying and I, you know, I didn't know really, I'd done all this preparation for the birth, but then I got to postpartum and I was like, I actually don't know what to do now. I don't know what I'm doing. So the midwives were beautiful. You know, they kept coming in and trying to help me breastfeed, but it just kept hurting. And, um, anyway, the next morning came around and I just wanted to go home because I, you're just more comfortable in your own home. And I um, wanted to be with my family. Like my, my parents were still there and my mother-in-law was there at that point as well. And um, anyway, Michael had come back in and to the hospital and I was just, my boobs were so sore. And so I started hand expressing. One of the midwives said, oh, you can hand express and feed her with the syringe. Mm-hmm. So um, we did that and so we did that for about, yeah, for that day certainly and I went home and like, I got discharged and I was able to go home, which was great. 
And then that's basically just where my nightmare of a breastfeeding three weeks started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, um, I did end up breastfeeding Marley until 18 months, until she was 18 months old. But th- that first month was horrendous really because I just couldn't do it and mm. I was in so much pain every time I put her on my boobs and um, I was you know I'd cry because I just wanted to be able to feed her and um, I, yeah and I just couldn't and I was pumping just like a cow three hourly and my alarm would go off every three hours and I would pump and and my milk, I had plenty of milk. It was all coming in fine and I think it came in on day three. Yeah. Um, and I had so much support. The midwives were still coming to my house mm. every day for five days postpartum um, and my husband was amazing and my mum and I had all these people trying to help me with the breastfeeding but I just couldn't do it. And so we finger fed her which is where you express the milk, put it in a cup um, and then you get a little tube and then you put your finger in the baby's mouth and when they suck it, it sucks the milk up obviously. And so we fed her like that for a week. Mm-hmm. And then on day eight of postpartum, I got mastitis and I didn't know what it was because I, like I said, I'd put all this energy into and research into the birth but I'd, I'd touched on breastfeeding, like, really lightly because I just thought you just chuck the baby on your boob, right, and it feeds. How hard can it be? So wrong. Um, and so on day eight I woke up and I was just in so much pain. My boobs were just so engorged and red and hot and mum said it looks like you've got mastitis so I called, there's a breastfeeding helpline. So I called the breastfeeding helpline and I, I, this poor woman, I just cried on the phone to her because I was in so much physical pain but also emotional pain because I was so tired and I was just having all this trouble with breastfeeding. And she said, it looks like you, because she said, you know, do you have a temperature, all these things? And I said, yes, I'm sweating, I've got body aches. And she said, it sounds like you do need to go to a doctor. So that was 11 a.m. And the only doctor's appointment I could get into again next was at 2 p.m. So I had some Panadol and I tried to go to sleep. We had plenty of milk for Marley, so that was no issue. I'd pumped so much milk for her so um, Michael could just feed her. But we went to the GP and she, I walked in and she said is it your boobs because I think I was hunching a bit and she could tell from my body language and I said yeah and she straight away took my temp and I was 40 degrees Mm. and um then she took my heart rate and it was through the roof and she said you're actually pretty unstable so you do need to go to emergency Mm. at Kennedy's because like you're not well so um mum took me to King Eddie's and to the emergency and they were really good. They got me straight through and the doctor was just so beautiful, so amazing. And she said the same thing. She said, look, you're, um, you know, 
your checks with your heart rate and your temperature and things are not okay. So um, they got me straight onto like the IV with the antibiotics and um, I ended up being in there for two days because my temp just wasn't coming down and my heart rate wasn't coming down because the infection was so full-blown. But I... I just let it, I, I didn't know the signs, so I just, I guess, I let it get to that point. Yeah, so what um, what did they say to you? Like, what were the signs and what, if anyone else, yeah, what, what can you look out for and what do you know about that now? Yeah, um, so I ended up getting mastitis nine more times. Oh, gosh. Um, in the 18 months, yeah, it was, it was a, a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got much better at looking out for the signs. So as soon as I would get a blocked milk duct, so pain or a lump, I would try and um, really lightly, really gently massage that out. Uh, I also went to the physio a few times because they would do ultrasound therapy on your boob and that would help break down the blockage. Uh and, but, I mean, I ended up in hospital one more time, again, with mastitis um, because just not being able to get on top of it quickly enough. If, if I was changing Marley, if, if she would, you know, baby's kick, if she would accidentally kick me in the boob, I would straight away get a blocked milk duct. Oh. And, like, my boobs just were really temperamental. Um, and, but I did get, I did learn how to manage it. I... Also would get my haka and I would fill it up with warm water and put Epsom salts in there and just let and like lean forward and just let it hang and just mm. drain my boob like that. But yeah, um, so I think out of the nine times I only not only, but I ended up on antibiotics four of the times. So the other five times I managed to, like I say, go to the physio and get the ultrasound therapy or use the haka with the salts to um, get rid of the mastitis, yeah. Yeah, oh, my God, that's so hard. It's so strong of you to keep going up until 18 months. <laughs> oh, it was so hard. And I, I I, got to the point where I just thought, no, I'm not going to breastfeed. And then um, my sister-in-law recommended um, an IBCLC to me because I'd already been to the lactation consultants at the at the hospital and everything. And I'd, I'd tried everything I could to breastfeed, but... Everyone had been giving me a bit of a one-size-fits-all. Like the information they were giving me was to hold Marley up like horizontally across my chest, mm. hurting so much. So I recommended um, this other lactation consultant and she's like an internationally accredited lactation consultant. She's amazing. And I went to her and she just said... She looked at my boobs. She checked Marley's mouth for tongue ties. She did all of that. And she said, I think you need to hold her diagonally, mm. like to position her diagonally so that she, she was almost sitting in my lap mm-hmm. to feed. And so I did that in her office and Marley just latched so perfectly and there was no pain and she fed for 20 minutes and I could not believe it that this one piece of information, something so simple, mm. just changed my whole breastfeeding journey. And and like I said, I ended up breastfeeding her until she was 18 months because of this amazing woman who just said, don't do 
don't hold it like that. Yeah. And was that um, advice specific to you as well? Like, is it important yeah. for someone to, if they're experiencing that, to go and get individual advice then? Absolutely. Because, you know, not everyone's nipples are the same. Some some are bigger, some are smaller. Not all the babies, some babies do have tongue ties or like a lip, like their t- lip top lip can be tight or, um, you know, maybe you're just not holding them exactly how they need to be held. And she, yeah, just changed that one thing for me and it just changed the whole, like I was definitely ready to give up and then um, she told me what to do and I could do it. Mm. But because I just felt like I was married to the pump, I, my body was producing the amount of milk that the pump wanted so um, I had to wean off that. So I did that one breastfeed, then I did the rest of that, that day pumping, and then the next day I did two breastfeeds and then pumping and then, you know, and so on until I was exclusively breastfeeding. Yeah. Yeah, so I got there in the end, but it was yeah, an wow. absolute mission <laughs> and I have so much respect for feeding your baby the right way for you because I just think breastfeeding, bottle feeding, they both have challenges and you just choose what is right for you and they're both amazing options. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How did you feel um, when you got home and you settled in? Did you have much of a support network around you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so the day that I got home, um, of course, my husband was there and he's amazing. He my whole pregnancy he just listened to everything that I would ramble on about after I'd listened to a podcast or anything so he was all over it um and then my parents were there and my mother-in-law was there as well for the first I think my mother-in-law was there for the first two days and my parents were there for the first five days um so that was great and that was so helpful and just cooking and cleaning and um you know, letting us have a nap if we needed to or whatever. And um, and also a lot of my girlfriends were bringing heaps of food over, um, like pre-cooked meals that we could put in the freezer or just have that night. Um, some of our other friends came over in the first week and actually just cooked dinner for us. And, yeah, so we were really lucky um, with that. And then... I mean, we live in Perth, though, and our parents don't. They live in Bunbury, so it's not that far. It's only an hour and 45 minutes. But um, once they left, mum would still try and come up, like, on the weekends and stuff when she wasn't working. So, yeah, we did have a really good support network. But you definitely need food in those first few weeks because you just you can't even think about food shopping or cooking because you're trying to figure out, why your baby's crying or why yeah. why this won't happen or yeah so we were really lucky yeah did anything else come up for you postpartum that you weren't aware of or didn't expect uh I think the witching hour was a bit unsuspecting mm-hmm. it was I didn't realize I'd heard that babies get a bit witchy in the afternoons but I still remember one afternoon in particular, I think she was three weeks old and um, it was Christmas. It was it was a week before Christmas and Michael was at his Christmas work party and she'd been crying for about three hours and I was just on the verge of break, 
like breakdown because I just could not stop her from crying. This was when I still couldn't breastfeed. So I, I couldn't just put her on the boob and she would be happy. I, so anyway, I, you don't want, you know, you feel guilty for being like, can you please come home? But I just had to do it. I just had to text him and be like, can you please come home? Because I am struggling here. She will not stop crying. I can't, I just don't know what to do with her. I'd put her in the carrier, um, which she loved. So that did become my go-to in that witching hour. I would just put her in the baby carrier on me, on my chest, and she would sleep or she would just be calm because she just wanted to be on me. Um, So that was really hard, I think. But you do adjust and you learn what makes them, you know, you take them for a walk in the pram or you take them for a drive and you do learn little things that will make them feel comfortable and settle. And certainly when I could then breastfeed, that was a go-to. If she was really unsettled, I could put her on the boob and she would settle straight away. So, yeah, that is definitely something postpartum that was um, a rude shock. But And then I think just the obvious of not grieving is probably definitely the wrong word, but missing your old life. Mm-hmm. You can't just go and have wines with your girlfriends all night long. Yeah. And you can't just jump in the car and pop down to the shops. It's like you have to be so organised and so prepared. Mm. And that comes, it does come eventually, you know, after when you've got a six-month-old, seven-month-old, you do just get that back where you can just jump in the car and go because you are organised and you know what you're doing. But mm. those first three months I found really in particular, really hard. Um, I remember I was late for an appointment, so I was already stressed and I could not get the capsule out of its base in the car. So I felt like I was spending 15 minutes trying to get this capsule out and I was, I'm very punctual and I was not coping with being late to everything because you just have to allow an extra half an hour Mm. in those first few months to go anywhere. Yeah. can't some things you just can't figure out. And mm. I could, on that day, I just could not get the capsule out of the car and it stressed me out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I had the same. I couldn't figure out how to open the pram because I'd always had my mum with me for the first few weeks whenever I went anywhere. And I had a meeting, I was catching up with some of my girlfriends. So it wasn't like super important, but I got the, tried to get the pram out. And I'm like, then she started crying in her car seat because she wanted me to hurry up. Yeah. And then I'm like, so, I felt so embarrassed that I was standing there. Like, I, I saw like another mum with a pram and I was going to be like, can you help me set up my pram? I just yeah. like, yeah, I'm like, I don't know how to mum yet. And it just, it's feels oh, yeah. so overwhelming in those moments it is because you're tired and it's just this probably one little contraption that you just need to flick a button <laughs> but you exactly just, you don't know that yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but no, other than that um we yeah so marley's 20 months now so in february when she was 14 months we decided that we wanted to have another baby Mm-hmm. So um, we started trying for another baby and I fell pregnant and I was so happy because um, I didn't know how we'd go because I was still breastfeeding and um, anyway, so we were so excited about that and um, and then it came around, so that ended up being a missed miscarriage, which means that there is no sign of a miscarriage. So I had no bleeding and I had no cramping or anything. So we went to the 12-week scan um, when I was 13 and a half weeks pregnant and 
straight away we knew, okay, there's no heartbeat, there's the baby's not moving. So it, mm. that's oh, that was that. Good. And um, we and that was a really hard week. And I thought, okay, it's Easter, so we're going down south. I'll just see if I pass this baby naturally. Mm. We went down south and I didn't. So I we got back to Perth and um, my GP said, look, you haven't passed it naturally, so do you want to go in and have a DNC? Which means that you go under general anaesthetic and um, they they clean the baby out for you. Mm-hmm. And so I went to King Edwards and that was hard because of COVID. My husband wasn't allowed to come in with me. So you, you weren't allowed um, that. So I went in there by myself, but there were three other girls in there at the same time and they were having one as well. So that was really nice to talk to them about their experience and, and their grief about um, because I got to come home to Mali, but those other girls, they didn't have a baby yet. So I really felt for them. And um, and it's really routine that after a and say they'll send the fetus away for um, genetic testing just to see if they if there is anything there's usually not they usually don't contact you because they will just say no it was just you know it happened and there's nothing wrong with you or it just happened Mm. um but I did get a call back two weeks later and they said um we need you to come into the hospital because uh we've found something with the fetus that we did testing on so Mm. I my husband was in Esperance at this point, so I was by myself. So that wasn't a great phone call to get. But it ended up being okay. I mean, I went in and he said, um, your pregnancy was a partial molar pregnancy. Um, and I'd never heard of that. So I didn't know what that meant. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. What, what is it? No, sorry. Yeah, so I'd never heard of it. So when he said that, I straight away was like, can I have another baby? That's all I want to know. Can I have another baby? And he said, absolutely, absolutely. So I said, good, okay, tell me what it is now. <laughs> that was just the first question that I wanted to get out of the way. Yeah. And um, so a partial molar pregnancy is where two sperm fertilise one egg. Mm. So it means that instead of having how many chromosomes, let me check, instead of having 46 chromosomes, the, um, this baby had 60. Nine chromosomes mm. so it can't grow it can't um it can't survive that pregnancy so it was always going to be um, a pregnancy loss but your body goes into overdrive because the of the extra chromosomes you get this huge amount of hcg running through your body So that's why my I would have had a missed miscarriage because I was still producing so much HCG, even though the baby had already had no heartbeat. um, I was still my body was still thinking you're pregnant. Mm. So that's why I didn't have any bleeding. But um, so I said, okay, well, what does that mean? Uh, Because a molar pregnancy, you can have also have a complete molar pregnancy, which is worse. So that is where um, two sperm or one sperm fertilized it's called an empty egg so there's no genetic makeup in that woman's egg when it got fertilized so that's also um but yeah that was different to what i had i had a partial so they said to me um having a dnc was definitely the best option for that because it means that they got everything out because the placenta becomes this hormonal hotspot 
where the HCG within the placenta is just going off its nut and it cannot form properly and it can actually start to attach to your uterus in the wrong way. Um, so a DNC is good to get make sure that's all out. So that was great. But then I needed to go back to King Edwards every week for monitoring and for um, blood tests to make sure that my HCG was coming down. Because if it's not, then they need to investigate why. But it was, and it came down beautifully um, within the two-month time frame that they like it to. And then they said to us last month, they said, okay, have one more full cycle and then you can start trying again. So that's exciting. So we will do that. Um, but, yeah, so a, molar a complete molar pregnancy or a partial molar pregnancy is about one in a 1,000 pregnancies and there's nothing wrong with me or my husband. It's just it just happened at conception. It was just a freak of nature thing. And, um, but now that it has happened, our chances have come down to one in 70. Oh, wow. So that's, you know, one in 70, one in a thousand, obviously you'd rather the one in a thousand, but one in 70 is still, you'd still be the unlucky one as, you know, those 70 women. So, or 70 pregnancies, but um, yeah. So I think I'll be a little bit nervous to try again, but I'm excited to try again and I'm sure we'll meet our baby, you know, one day. Yeah. So. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's so exciting for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, how have you found that you've gone mentally throughout the past, I guess, 20 months? Has your mental health been like up and down or have you done anything about it or has that been? Yeah, no. Um, I, I think I've had, I've, there's been times of anxiety. Like I say, you know, if I was running late or something, I would, you know, you'd feel with anxiety but not to the point where I've needed to uh, seek advice. I, I've spoken to my other girlfriends who are mums. I'm really lucky that a couple of my best friends have had babies at the same time as me. So if I was ever feeling like something was stressing me out or I wasn't coping with a certain aspect of motherhood, um, I could bounce off them and they would say, yep, me too, and, you know, what can we do to make ourselves feel better? So, um, yeah, I've, I've definitely surrounded myself with like-minded mums and that's been really helpful for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. yeah. No, my mental health's been good. Um, in the last few months, it's obviously since the missed miscarriage, it's obviously taken a little bit of a, mm -hmm. um, a little bit of work to just work on some like anxiety, I guess, around falling pregnant again or, um, and, and grieving that baby. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, not not nothing I've needed to really get on top of. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, is there anything that you think um, you might do differently coming into this second postpartum now that if you guys are trying again? Yeah, yeah. Um, the postpartum, I think, no similar. I mean, I really would um, love my mum and dad and my mother-in-law to be um, as involved as they were in those first few weeks postpartum where you just, um, and yet certainly be welcoming all the food again. And um, I think I'll have a bit, uh, a few more like ice pads ready in the freezer. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, I was definitely pretty sore for about four or five days postpartum. Um, so I'll definitely be on to that. Uh, and I will make sure that I've got the nipple shields ready to go as well because the nipple shields definitely helped. Um 
to you know toughen up my nipples a bit more yeah um nipple shields and yeah no I I think I'll do a lot of the things the same I'll do I'll I'll do a lot more baby wearing from the start I didn't start baby wearing until probably three or four weeks Mm-hmm. So I think I'll start baby wearing a lot earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that I, when I put so much pressure on myself to like have her sleeping in her cot or like, like not being on me. And I feel like going into a second pregnancy for myself, a second birth, I would just like just attach them to 24 seven. Cause that's kind of all they want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've co-slept a lot with Marley. So um, even now she's 20 months, but if she wakes up at 4.30am, we just bring her into our bed and she goes straight back to sleep because I just figure if she's asleep, I'm asleep, right? So I don't care if she's in her cot or in my bed. As long as she's asleep, then so am I. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, yeah, we did do a lot of co-sleeping. I looked into how to co-sleep safely and that worked really well for us and it doesn't work for a lot of people. It doesn't work for everyone, but it it is something that we um, did and I will do it. definitely yeah 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 we do that as well and I just love it I'm like she's only going to be young for a little bit and want to sleep with me so might as well I remember reading this thing and it was like a hundred percent of babies who co-sleep will stop co-sleeping yeah yeah. there's no like adults yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice what would it be um go back and give some advice I when I was postpartum actually the birth time documentary came out Mm. so I would have loved to have seen that before I gave birth um so I think yeah for women who are pregnant or wanting to become pregnant that that's a really good thing to do is it's a it's really informative and it just tells you things that you don't know Mm. um before you have your baby so yeah that's um you can just stream that the birth time documentary and um or one other thing that I did find really helpful actually is instead of wearing you know in the postpartum obviously you still have bleeding um I I got the depends you know those they're they're basically adult nappies oh yeah 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 but they're for bleeding they're they're not for yeah urination or anything but you um they were so comfortable because they were Mm. like wearing knickers yeah yeah so that's definitely some advice that I would that I, I tell all my friends now when they're pregnant, I'm like, get some Depends yeah. because they're so comfortable. <laughs> yeah, they're they are, yeah. They're like a big-ass pad. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so, um, but, no, I just think the best advice is to do what feels right for you. There's so many contradicting things, breastfeed, bottle feed, co-sleep, cot, you know, there's just all these things and just do what you want to do and what feels right for you. That's the best way you can mother, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Haley. This has been amazing. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Thanks so much for having me. I've loved talking to you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed Haley's story today. Um, if you want to share your own postpartum and birth story, you can hit me up on my Instagram at the Post Party Project, um, or you can send me an email, thepostpartyproject at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Thanks, guys.